0: Right, Brett Henderson here, super excited to have another episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass today. I have a phenomenal guest, Marine Veteran Cody Hall. Cody, what's up, dude? How's it going, Brett? Going going long, well, long, man. Long time coming. Yeah, <laughs> right? So how long ago did you and I meet? Just to let everyone know in the audience kind of like how this whole game works and, and how I've, I've started built this network and thing we have together. How did you and I meet? I want
1: to say two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago, we connected when we were in Los Angeles.
0: Was off, off LinkedIn though, right? You know what? If
1: my memory serves me correct, someone introduced us—a a, a common friend. Um, but it was it that? I believe so. I don't know. I've hit my head a couple of times.
0: <laughs> right, we all have, <laughs> and then some. I think it was LinkedIn. i do I don't—I don't remember too, but I know you know Adam Collier, Lieutenant Colonel Collier, and yeah. and the whole story, and you were a Recon yeah. Marine. And just for everyone who who maybe. If this is your first episode, you'll listen to other episodes. I'll quickly refresh, and this is all in episode one and two. So, if you're going to go back and hear the full gig, you can. But I originally got out of the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps, I got out in 2002. It was a part of my life. It was not my life. I moved on, was in corporate America, building my own business and working for big firms. And then I met a Marine who was my same age, and he was, he went to the Naval Academy at the same time I was going to Tulane. I was ROTC. He was an Academy grad. And he stayed in the reserves. Long story short, it was battalion commander, 4th Recon. And I think well, it's only three. How many battalion, how many recon battalions are there in Marine Corps? Is it three or four?
1: Well, there's three, but it's like 3.1 because it's like two teams in the reserve. So it's 4th Recon Battalion. It exists. It's just super small. But it's like a
0: company or something like that? Not even. And so then <laughs> and then we can talk about MARSOC and where MARSOC fits in now. And they got stood up and what, eight or ten. I've got a couple other veterans there. But long story short, Adam and I became good friends. And then Adam, his tour as battalion commander was ending, and he and I had dinner on March, I think, 3rd or 4th, 2018. Like, what are you doing next? He's like, I don't know. I may go back to Afghanistan just to do something. And you could tell he was lost. You could tell he didn't have a purpose. The very next Saturday, he shot himself and killed himself. And so you hear the 22 a day, and until it happens to your best friend, that's really what was a catalyst for me to get involved. That's what became personal. Right? It's no longer a, a fun thing to do, to do some push-ups and videotape yourself doing push-ups on the internet and look at me. And 22 push-ups sucks, by the way. If you're going to press somebody like 100 push-ups at once, that's that's impressive, not 22. Like uh, Anyone should be able to do 22. If you can't do 22, you're a fat buddy, get down, start with a one, then get two, and then get three. So 22 should be a staple. <laughs> anyway, digression there. So and then you and I met because you are in Marine Recon Foundation, correct? Yeah. Yep, part of it. Yep. And then you, you were running another company at the time and you had some things going on there. So why don't you just quickly give us a background of your time, just years, you don't have to go a lot of detail, just years in the Marine Corps, just to give some background and kind of how, then we'll slowly take it to where you are today.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot like what you said, I was in the Marines. The Marines wasn't everything to me. Um, you know, I love being a veteran, love my Marine Corps friends, but, uh, it seems almost like a hot skip and a jump. So I joined the Marine Corps at 17. I, uh, originally was infantry. A lot moved into recon. I had the opportunity to serve with, uh, both battalions, uh, and did a little bit, uh, with the third battalion in Oki. I had a lot more opportunities than most to travel the world and do exciting things. Um, but I never really wanted to make my life a Marine Corps life. I never conformed. Uh, I think they use it as miss. Uh, insubordination was a common term that defined me. Uh, so I was a, uh, I was a career, career team guy. I never had the opportunity to really move outside of that because I was too, uh, hard headed. And so I was always getting in trouble. You know, that drive to want to do things differently and do them my own way, I took to pick that out to the civilian world. Uh, you know, you know as the age old story goes, got out for a girl. That was my first ex-wife. Um, and then, you know, got a college degree. And then I started traveling around with big companies and just took this drive to want to be different into yep. startups. And okay. so that was kind of my biggest thing. I found that um, working for Apple and Amazon isn't that big, isn't big of a difference from the Marine Corps. You know, it's their way or the highway. Uh, and uh, I really didn't like that jive. I didn't like that number mentality. And so I wanted to take, you know, my small unit mentality to small companies uh, I jumped in with startups, uh, had some successes right off the bat. And, you know, fortunately, I, I, if I had to mark my life, it'd be one of luck. And so. What year
0: was this? If you mind me asking.
1: 2015. 2015. 2015. So, so I got off active in 2013. Okay. 13. And so, uh, within two years, I was married, divorced and moved. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was working for Amazon at nighttime. 60 plus hours a week. And then the daytime, I work for a startup in Santa Monica. And so I work remote for them half the time in person. And then at nighttime, I work in the facilities at Amazon. Uh, I did that. I burnt both ends of that candlestick for a long time. Amazon, paying the bills, and the startups kind of like fulfilling this mentality of like getting things done, you know, overcoming obstacles with, with no resources. And then. Sounds like a Marine Corps. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, never enough material to do the job. And then so I did this thing called equity hopping. It's where you stay at companies long enough to, to equity, um, vest and then hop to next company. And so, uh, and it was good for me because I stayed at a company just long enough for my equity to vest in the startup. And then at that time I was bored. And so I moved on to the next challenge. All right. And I became a professional at replacing myself. I think one thing that a lot of people don't like doing is getting hiring someone better at your job than you. Um, and I found a lot of joy in that. I always was getting into company, staying there for two or so years, and then backfilling myself until I found myself to be relevant, and then I'd leave. And uh, you know, I did that for a while. And in the midst of all those successes, I had an awesome failure I worked for a company that was based out of Taiwan. Uh, it was an awesome time. I had to be go between Taiwan, Japan, and L.A. nonstop. And then um, we—I oversaw the transition of a new CEO. I was the head of HR and operations for the English-speaking world, so all of Europe and the United States. And then uh, we brought a new CEO. Uh, guy was a genius, except he had a loss. He was very intelligent, right? But he wasn't a great leader. Uh, his approach to leadership was let people do what they believe is best for them, the company, which basically means you have a bunch of college graduates showing up at 9.30 for a 9 a.m. meeting. They did not like my approach to correcting those issues. <laughs> and So eventually, um, you know, the company was seeing failure coming down the pipeline. And I just, you know, I just applied pressure. They didn't like the pressure. So they kicked me to the curve. Two months later, the company failed anyway. So um, that's probably my biggest failure. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you can either conform in a direction that you know is gonna fail, or you can swim against the current and see if you can fight failure. Um, I chose against the current, right? Ultimately the company was not gonna succeed anyways because you know, you're not the CEO. CEO has the final word, right? And so let that company took a couple months off to uh paint my house and stuff. And then I started as a co-founder of a healthcare company, which was uh, 2018, was involved with a healthcare company up until 2022, uh, when I exited, you know, that was a, an intense time, you know, going into a company that was, had nothing going on, taking it from zero to 30 million, right? And then hitting head on to the, the, the challenges of COVID. Taking a company of nearly 300 people from in person Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week, to virtual on um, a company that wasn't really tech heavy. At, I mean, hell, we had Teams, but we didn't use it. All our meetings were in person, and so then overnight, in the course of a week, we took an entire company virtual. And then, you know, luckily we flourished during COVID. But you know, the old saying goes: if you live along, if you live long enough, you either die a hero or you become the devil. Right, And so all those things that helped us during COVID ended up biting us in the ass a year and a half later. Right. And so they were sitting there dealing with all of our challenges. And so, you know, I think that if I had to just um, sum up my career, it's just been I've, I've always seeked a challenge with a purpose. So all the companies that I work for, they've had like a novel idea of how we're going to impact society. And I've kind of applied my, you know, get it done outside the box thinking mentality to building teams and constructing culture and people, which I've been very successful at so far.
0: When you first got out 2013 and you did your first equity hop, so to speak, or you got into startups, you had zero experience ahead of time. So how did you find your first startup opportunity? How did that window of opportunity present itself to you, and how do you take advantage of it?
1: I just started – I actually was looking for it. So kind of take my own bull by the
0: horns. I how does one look for it? How does one look for it? How do you – so if you're interested in finding something like that how would someone like yeah. me do that?
1: Uh I mean I applied
0: online and so Applied you know, to what? Just, what were you looking for to even find? Dig uh, I'm digging a little bit. D-
1: d- I mean everyone here applied for a job before right? <laughs>
0: okay so, I mean that's
1: that's what it was I I went around on Indeed and LinkedIn and I was looking for sub 10 people companies um with the mentality that I would sit in and you fill one role, but really filling 10 roles uh, was what I was looking for. And I was looking at from the perspective that at 10 or less people, I'd have the ability to uh, direct the company and influence it in the ways I wanted it to go as well, not just jump on board with a, a ship and says, here's your paddle, paddle, right? right. Uh, Sick with the cadence, right? More so like um, jumping on a team. It's like, okay, whip out the compass and the map. You know, where where should we all think this bad boy should go? And so I was looking for those smaller companies. And um, I came across the CEO uh, for Bambi HR. And uh, he was promising me a, not a whole lot of money. But he told me that it would be the experience like jumping out of an airplane. I said, I want the startup experience of jumping out of an airplane. He said, all right. He's like, come join me. And it was. It was a, a hell of a ride. But I was looking for just the smaller, more influential circles that I could do, and luckily I was in LA, where, you know, a lot of startups are born in the Santa Monica area. So, and you know, that's how I was able to search out those opportunities.
0: I like that. So I've heard of Bambi HR. They were calling on me forever for a while trying yeah. to get me to sign up yeah. for their services. So and you said you were actually HR at that company?
1: I was the eighth person.
0: Okay, but you were were you HR at Correct. Correct. Yeah. So where so do you have like I know Sherm and there are a bunch of HR groups and do you have any HR training whatsoever or are they just like here's a hat throw it on and figure it out as you go?
1: No 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 I uh so when I got out of the Marine Corps I got I was lucky enough to get a job at Apple where I had a I did a career experience so at Apple they you could apply for experiences where you go as like a salesperson which is I was a salesperson for business and you go spend six months in a different department of Apple entirely. You know, of course, there's some there's some loose. You know, I had an education with some an experience and background from business and things like that, right? So I qualify for the role. And so I did six months at Apple, and then they offered me a position. So I was HR at Apple before I was HR at Amazon, and then as I was leading HR teams at Amazon, is how I became to lead HR teams of startups. And okay. so what what we what we do in the you know say for example if you're a startup uh, COO, right? and you're, you're running a, ten, a team of 10, you're probably the equivalent to like an operations manager at Amazon. And if you're a director or a manager at Amazon, you're probably a COO at a startup. So they, it kind of sheets downward if you're going from startup to corporate. You know, you're not going to run a company of like, I'm not going to go from the CEO of, of Octiva Healthcare and apply for Anthem's new CEO role because I don't run a company with 300,000 people, right? Right. It's a different world. And so I just took, you know, my director level experience in HR in the corporate world and I applied it to take over as head of human resources for smaller companies.
0: Okay, so it was a natural progression. It was an evolution. So you had one block getting in the door with because you're a Marine grunt and all I know is you're a Marine grunt, all of a sudden you're equity hopping, like there has to be something more to it. So I appreciate you clarifying that there.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I think that my biggest differentiator and my progress from Marine, because there's a lot, like, talking about transition, a sure. lot of Marines fell. Like I know a lot of Marines who blindly go out from the Marine Corps to find their place into the world, and they're trying to take their experiences and education from being a Marine and applying it to wherever they can, right? And a lot of people end up in police and fed and public services and things like that, or contractors, fill in the blank, right? You know, I was sitting there going to college, weighing an opportunity to work with Triple Canopy in Afghanistan, right? And they're like, "Oh, we're going to pay you a ton of money to go over here and be HR basically for contractors and like, you know, Helmand Province, Afghanistan, or the base, right?" And then, and then I get an opportunity with Apple, and then just took me a different direction. Uh, you know, having an experience at Apple with education on, you know, I went from being around these. Atypical personalities of males because it was an all marine, all male profession, right? And then to Apple, which is like, you know, the complete opposite of the yeah. Marine Corps. one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I don't know, but I would only
0: assume that it's a uh, little bit different a, than Marine Corps.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Straight from you know your pro your pronouns or any variation of you know idiot to you know him, her, I, it is, and it's just like. It's like, well, why, why does this matter? And it's like, it took me a second to, to drink the Kool-Aid and to, to play the game, but uh, I got good at it.
0: So. so when you were at Apple then, did you feel that you assimilated well as a Marine?
1: Not at first. Um, you know, I think that if I had to point to a, a
0: point
1: that actually kind of marked my change in my personality, I remember once like laying, I was laying into this guy. Uh, at Apple, I was yelling at him uh, because he—I was—I was a new sales guy, just started at Apple, right? I was probably there about a month and a half, and there was like some water on the Apple store floor, and he came out there and says, "Hey, listen, you know, can you clean this up?" And I said, "Well, I'm busy." he's like, "Well, what whale to you guys even good for, right? If you're not going to clean this up, because he's like a technician or something." Man, I pulled that kid back there. I was like, <laughs> I was—I'm like, you know, I was like 23 at the time, right? And he was like 20. And I was like sitting there like laying in this kid, you know, about life lessons and you know how not to judge people by their cover. I'm like, you don't know what I've been through. I'm like, you know, you know who I am. I'm like, you're gonna come out at me and hand me a mop like I'm some Joe Blow. And so that kind of transitioned into like, okay, who did I need to be at the time I was having the conversation with this guy so that he can understand my perspective? And then that kind of changed me into this like leading people one way to leading people the way they need to be leaded and communicating the way they need to be communicating with. So that made me a differential leader. And it kind of set me on this path that has made me, you know, I am Johnny on the spot for whatever you need, right? When it comes to companies, I've led companies that iron fist, you know, if we're going to, we're going to win, we're going to win revenue by attrition, and if that means stacking bodies, hiring, and firing, then I'm your person. If you want to win by culture and safe zones and pins and, you know, beer fest Fridays, then I'm your person over there. So I became that person because an Apple, I needed to be because every person was different. And so I adapted.
0: So it sounds the old Marine Corps adage, and doesn't matter if Marine or not, but I think it probably applies to other branches as well. It was Semper Gumby. We were to always, always be flexible, always be yeah. like, there's a, a mission that comes down, something you got to do. And then guess what? It changes. And then it can change again and change again and change again. So the only thing that's constant is change. I think in the military or in business, there's nothing constant, right? Mm-hmm. Unless, uh, unless maybe you're a, a kindergarten teacher, but no, if you're a <laughs> kindergarten teacher, kindergartens, technolog- <laughs> they new come through every year. They're the same. However, but the teaching techniques change, right? Like I remember. If you were allergic to something, for example, I'm thinking of kindergarten because my son is in kindergarten, so I'm a little biased there, but I'm trying to think of a non, non-relatable non example, which is actually relatable, and when we were kids, I think I had an allergy. I was allergic to milk for a little bit, and so for me, and I had to have apple juice at lunch, and everyone else had milk, and fine, and there was no such thing as a peanut allergy when we were kids. I don't know where this peanut allergy thing came from, and like all of a sudden, why the peanuts are the worst thing in the world, but my son... He's not even a lot – and the only thing he likes to eat – only he does like jelly. He likes peanut butter sandwiches, not peanut butter jelly, not peanut butter fluff. I used to like peanut butter fluff. It's peanut butter yeah. marshmallow. Those are great sandwiches. But he can, he's not supposed to – his whole school is technically a peanut-free school because he can eat peanut butter and another kid can't. They don't want to risk the chance of like the kid who can't eat peanuts stealing my son's sandwich and – Eating, or maybe not stealing, but him sharing his sandwich with him and the yeah. kid you know, dying. It's so like, nope, no one can do it. Versus, like, okay, you have to be careful. You don't eat peanut butter. Like, why Why do we have to yeah. suffer because you can't process that or handle that? I, I don't know. So it's one of those things like they talk about disabled people. Everything, they have to have an opportunity to do everything now because we have a green belt here a running green belts, a wood chip. And they're going to say they're going to pave it so that handicapped people can can access it. And I'm like, well, there is a sidewalk right next to it. <laughs> The sidewalk does have a tree overhang and we also have the strand in Hermosa Beaches, you know, which like is paved for years. You can run on that. And so you're going to take one nice soft area and make it. Disability accessible. I get that, and everyone should have access to certain things. But you're gonna put on the ocean? Are you gonna you're gonna, turn, you're gonna pay, pave the ocean and say you got the same access to the ocean as someone who swims? But you can't do like there has to be a certain limit. Is what I'm trying to say. And yeah. to be, but we have to be flexible though and see the other person's perspective. And our perspective is not the only perspective. And you and I can disagree about something. We could feel differently about it. And you have your opinion. I have my opinion. And it's different. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. And he or she, I think, the point I'm taking away from what you just shared, he or she or they or it or whatever, who can see and appreciate someone for their perspective. And you don't have to agree with it, but you can understand it. You can have empathy towards it. I think if you can flex, you will be able to thrive in a corporate environment. And many Marines, and I can't speak for the branches, but you're kind of, classically conditioned. This is who you are. You're the best. You're this. You're this, you're that, you're that, you're that, and your ways mm-hmm. right. And you're da-da-da. So when you get out, you try and take that ethos or that mindset and you apply it in corporate America, you're like, dude, this dude's cr- this guy or girl's crazy, right? And yeah. they don't fit. So the sooner we're offering guidance and mentorship here for veterans getting out, and that's the purpose mm-hmm. of this podcast, the, the veterans from a masterclass, and our YouTube channel, this could be on YouTube too. What would you say to them coming out? about the rigidity that they've learned and the system they were in, whether it's just four years or 20 years or institutionalized or, or just, you know, kind of forward yeah. getting there, what would your guidance be?
1: You have two paths you can take, right? You have the path of no change, which is, you know, I'll use my older brother as example. He is very much still, corporal hall <laughs> right you know he's been a state trooper he's been a contractor and now he's a, and now he's you know works in investigations in the police department right he is still very much a marine but he found an environment where that those mentalities were appropriate right or you have to data dump everything right and you know, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, there are some things and some mentalities and resilience, right? And, you know, the, the ability to endure stress is very important, but how you behave, how you lead and things like that, you have to get rid of all that to go out into the real world. Like, unfortunately, like everything they teach us in the Marine Corps, you know, besides the experience, which builds us and makes us callous to stress and ability to, you know, absorb change like anyone else's business. We're like, okay, let's so we're going this direction now. You know, we're just, you know, like rain off a windshield, right? You know, the worst things that be happening. And people always say calm, calm cool, and collective, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are great. However, you have to relearn how to behave? It's like when we join the Marine Corps, right? That first phase where they're trying to tear all your behaviors down so they can bring you back a Marine, right? Well, you have to go through that exact opposite thing when you get out of the Marine Corps. You have to go right, tear away everything that makes you a Marine, like all those really weird noises Marines make, right? <laughs> right, and the, and the love for the F word, every you know, it, it's good for every sentence, right? F F F F F F. Right, you gotta get rid of all that, right? All that has to go away, and you have to create a new persona. I mean. I am very much a Marine when I'm not at work, right? And it's, I have a Marine mentality, right? And, you know, my partner gets it, people in my life get it. But when I'm professional coding, I don't use profane language, right? I speak in a very understanding and calm, approachable, like my ex-wife used to always say, you're calm with everybody but me, right? I'm like, well, yeah, of course, (laughs) you're paying (laughs) me to be calm, (laughs) right? you have to kind of drop that pack and um and for a lot of people it's difficult because they're like just especially people who are successful in the marine corps those are the people who have the most trouble like you know like oh i have all these accolades and this 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 i got a navy Achievement medal for doing my job and all this jazz right and then they get out and they go to the real world and they're like well this has made me successful i'm going to apply this and when it doesn't succeed and they actually have you know some type of punitive kickback right in their work environment because of this they become confused and I'd say you you need a mentor I was lucky enough to have a a non-veteran mentor who oddly enough he could have definitely been a veteran kind of point me in the right direction and kind of guide me and sit there as I did things no Cody no Cody smack me on the head or on my hand the entire time no 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 and it kind of put me in the right direction but you, you need that person
0: yeah, I'll, I'll share a failure if I, if I may. So as you're thinking, I'm looking at myself, my own progression and transition from W2 employee to business owner and having a team and and a young team. When I when I first started out, you know, I had some challenges my with my very first employee. And we sat there and I actually had an HR consultant for a while, kind of going through things. We we're talking and I remember the conversation. And I'm like, look, my job is to train you. So I was like trying to bring this person up to my level. And at a and I run hot and fast. Right? So I'm fire hose plus. So I'm like I'm like five <laughs> higher fire. Come on. And like, let's go. Because run the faster you on my level, the faster we can both go, right? And I and I just I, I crushed her. I I crushed her, right? And so some of the things I'm like, look and HR consultant was there chatting. And you're like, Hey Brett, what are your thoughts? And I remember one scenario we were just talking, I'm like, look, my job, especially as a Marine Corps, was to make sure if I was killed, my platoon could Carry out the mission. So I had to make sure if I'm shot in the head and I'm killed in my tank, that my gunner knows what to do, my loader knows what to do, my driver knows what to do, the platoon sergeant, that everybody can run if I'm not there. So my goal was to train everyone as though I wasn't there. And the HR person was like, Brett, you're not in the Marines now. You're not going to get shot in the head. Hopefully here now. So you can't leave. I was like, oh. it's like, oh. Yeah. just because it was so ingrained and that's like what you do is yeah. to make sure you take care of your marines and and by making sure that if you're not there that they can accommodate and accomplish the mission, right but it is a huge change that was a lesson failure for me i I had to yeah. go through that personally so hopefully veterans that are listening to this that have come out recently or even it's been i had, at that point I had been out for fifteen years and i but I was now a business owner, right I was no longer. An employee of W two company, I was just myself and a small staff, yeah. and I expected my my staff to run in fact run as fast as I did, and also to care. And That's another thing we can talk about too. If your staff, if you're an entrepreneur and you're building a business, your staff will never care as much as you do about your business because it's your business, yeah. not their <laughs> business. If it was their bit, if they cared that much, they'd have their own business. So huh? that's another perspective shift too. And so let's talk about that. But to bring it bring it home, what I think has really helped me settle in is I am, and I was only in four years, but I am no longer Brett the Marine. I am Brett a Marine, but I am not Brett the Marine. There's a huge difference when mm-hmm. you're a Marine versus the Marine or a soldier versus the soldier or the airman versus an airman. So... I'm pontificating a little bit. Open ended forum. Back to you. Where where yeah. has this banter taken your mind?
1: Well, you know, most people who meet me on a daily basis will never even know I was in the military. And they're you know, that's true. It's not You got uh, the vet mirror,
0: dude. You got the vet No, beer. no, I no. Totally no. The vet hey, but when
1: I put down the ponytail man, I got long, you know, expat kind of vibes, right? And you know, the truth of the matter is is my I don't hang out with a lot of veterans right you know most people I surround myself on a daily basis have no affiliation with the military whatsoever being a veteran to me isn't a isn't plaques or paddles or medals on a wall for me anymore it's it you know it's not you know ribbons upon my chest or any of that jazz or war stories once upon a time long long ago it's to me it's It's a mentality. It's a, it's a, it's a core of who I am, right? And I think a lot of that makes me successful as an entrepreneur, as a business leader is, um, a lot that made, you know, every recon man before me successful, right? And it's this mentality of like, no one cares that you're suffering, right? No one cares that this is hard. No one's here to pat you on the back. There's not gonna be a parade when you succeed. Actually, there's gonna be more people clapping when I fail than when I triumph, right? And so I have these mentalities every day and I think about what makes me successful. And I, you know, I, I, I my favorite quote is by Winston Churchill and in success is the enthusiasm we carry between our failures, right? And the ability- Say to it again, enthusiasm. say that again. Uh, uh, and success is the enthusiasm we carry between our failures. All right, Winston Churchill. And the thing that I love about that is because, because I'm a Marine, right? Deep down in there, even if you don't even know it, like I have this ability to, you know, eat dirt and smile with, with dirt in my teeth. Right. And it's just like, you know, I'll, the past couple of months have been, just been a kick in the gut. And I you know I have multiple companies and there's not one of them right now that doesn't have a fire. There's not one of them right now that hasn't lost a major client. That has not I have one business completely on hold, right? Pause entirely. We're going from twelve grand a month to pause, right? And I'm sitting here, just you know, went from making more money than I know to make a month, and then the past couple months, I'm losing money every month now. And you know what? I still wake up every day, bust out the laptop, like I'm going to go out there and make a million bucks, and uh, because. That's what we do. And eventually, and if you put, you utilize your experience as a veteran, however you want to leverage it, right? Whether you want it to be the badge in which you wear upon your shoulder or the invisible Superman suit underneath like me, to me, it's just you need to leverage your experience, your mentality the best way that you're going to be able to apply it. But it will always be a part of you. It just – Will not be you. And if you wanted, but the, the thing is, is this one staff sergeant told me one day, I don't care how much you love the military, if you did 25, 30 years, one day it will get rid of you like you've never mattered. And whether you're a master guns or a colonel, you're someone else with that same exact insignia is going to take your spot like you never existed. And it's just going to keep on because it's a machine and does so so you need to figure out like okay you can go on the rest of your life being like unfortunately I'll reference my brother again you know my brother I told him this when he um when he got his bronze star with a v right he was this he was always talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. and I told him like listen like I want you to know something you're more than a medal that medal you made that medal it's value right doing the the valor that you you did in the time of um of extreme circumstances made that metal what it is, not that metal making you, right? And that's what we have to realize, that we are not the Marine Corps, all right? It's just a part of us. And you have to figure out where that fits in the rest of your life.
0: No, I, I completely agree. And I echo what you just shared. I think we said the same thing slightly differently. And what I see now as I'm out there and I'm chatting with veterans and engaging, I actually don't like all the veteran entrepreneur Facebook groups and boards that are flags everywhere and guys with guns <laughs> and all that. And they're like, dude, that's in the past. Like we yeah. have that connection, but that's behind you. Now that's, that should, that could be a part of you again, as you just said, but it's not who you are today. It helped mold who you are. It's a piece yeah. of who you are. It'll be there, but put that, you have to put that behind you as you drive forward. You cannot yeah, drive it. forward looking in the rear, rear view mirror every day. And I do see a lot of that. A lot of veterans are still stuck when they were quote unquote the soldier or the marine or the sailor and that's yeah. what who they are and what they did and they're living off of that. And the sooner so we're looking at mentorship and guidance, the sooner any veteran can say, okay, that part of that chapter of my life is closed. You're right? I appreciate it made me who I am. It's a part of me to always be there, but it's closed. I'm opening a new chapter to a new book. I'm gonna take the experience and help that hone my help me write my new chapter. But it's a new chapter. And then so what I with, with the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass, only a podcast, but our group that we get together once a month. And so if you're listening, you're a veteran and you and you're missing that camaraderie though, where you have people like you that have also closed that chapter and are moving forward and want to mentor each other and you're open to supporting and being supported. When, when you and I were when I was in, it was combat arms, combat service support, combat service support supposed to support combat arms. You can go out and fight, you know the eighty twenty rule. But that's I guess kind of passe now. Now it's supported and support team. So we I love the idea of our group. And if you're a veteran entrepreneur and you don't have this group, you go out and find it. If not, reach out to us. You can join ours. We have no asshole rule though. That's the only thing you have to be cool and can't be an asshole. Um, <laughs> but if you're open to supporting other veterans that have a mission, have a purpose, that I welcome. And then at the same time, if you need help with your own mission, your own purpose being supported, right, and you're humble enough to ask for that, to ask for that mentorship, everyone in that group is down to help. Everyone wants to help because I think we all feel good because we've all been through so much. If we can help someone not have to have their teeth all dirty and gritty like you and I have, they can get from A to B faster. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel good. Yeah. Right. When you see seem uh-huh. to succeed, how, how do you feel about that?
1: No, I love mentoring people. I mean, one of uh, my vice president at Apple said, you know, I used to always be like, how can Cody get to the top of this mountain? Right. Like how many bodies do I have to stack to get to the top? And he always used to tell me, it's like, you know, it's not about you succeeding. It's about when you do succeed, who did you bring with you? Right. Like when you get to the top of that mountain, are you alone or are you surrounded by people who you brought along the way? And so I've always been a, a mentor of people. I, you know, I have mentees that are veterans. I have mentees that don't even have a family member in the military, all right? And so I, I love supporting and guiding people. You know, we should speak to pass along those learns so that people don't step step in the same hole.
0: One hundred percent. So with that though, tell me about your current hole. Tell about your current. Maybe your company isn't a hole. Maybe that's just a bad analogy to. to... Play off of, but tell me about your hmm. current gig now and what you're doing now, or if one of them, to, the main them, gig. Right. How's that?
1: Main. So I, uh, my partner and I run a, a BPO, a business processing organization out of Mexico, and so we support roughly 36 companies around the world uh, with their remote call center and employee. So think about if you're a company and you want to hire someone that's remote. You have the option of doing a direct hire or contracting. What we do is we contract those people out to companies from Mexico uh, so that they can either, A, have uh, ease of relationship, meaning that they can cut them and you know, add people and get rid of people as quick as they want with no risk. Uh, we also do it for cost savings in the United States. You know, with you hire a data scientist in Mexico for $1,500 a month, or you can hire them for $15,000 a month in the United States, someone with a PhD. And so it's it's a depending on how you want to do it. And we also have a lot of customer service options because we are Spanish, English-speaking call centers. But uh, we have call centers from Mexico City, Guadalajara, Puerto Vallarta, uh, as well as Mexicali and Tijuana. And so we have um, offices across Mexico that support uh, everywhere from California to Tel Aviv. We're coming up on our one-year mark. At the end of this month. And so we've gone from zero to 36 contracts in a short period of time. Uh, We are, you know, experienced, we've gotten some growth spurts. You know, we've grown faster than sometimes we can support. We've taken on contracts that we have absolutely no business taking on. And then we learned that the hard way. And so, um, you know, mostly we focus on customer service, IT support. And you know, niche roles for one-offs here and there. But we try to shy away from lead generation. That's not our niche anymore.
0: <laughs> and we had that conversation about that. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you kind of steered that way. That's that could be a money yeah. pit. And and setting reasonable expectations can be very very challenging.
1: There are any expectations. That's the part about lead generation. You can't promise anyone success. And so it's and then then you can't set an expectation. You're destined for disappointment every time. So it's just not the game we wanted to get in.
0: Right. Well, that is a game many companies do. And I've, I've been there myself. I've spent and wasted money with lead generation companies. Right. And so one thing I'll share with anyone in business, if you're listening at the end of the day, unless you're selling just a widget and it's just a product that someone wants to buy. But if you're selling a sophisticated relationship based solution, like I'm a consultant companies hire me or I throw my technician hat on to manage their corporate 401k plan, their retirement plan doesn't matter if if I've got the best process, right? Because at the end of the day, you can't sell a product, you could sell your process. But if you don't have a relationship and someone doesn't like, trust, respect you, none of that matters. And Mm -hmm. so it seems a lot of people, what I'm experiencing, and tell me what your thoughts are through technology, a lot of companies say, oh, I'm going to have the sales tech platform and I'm going to have this this whiz-bang solution and a name's going to come in. It's like a fall in the the model. The model's going to move it down. They're going to turn into a sale and it just automated, right? But there's no relationship. There's no interaction. You're And then there are a number. There's not a name. There are a number. So Mm -hmm. what do you – I've seen that transition, especially through COVID and and a lot of millennials are tech smart, but they're relationship poor. And so I don't think they're getting the results that they ideally want what are your thoughts just on that subject
1: if the, those process do work they're not going to create a, a lasting relationship right you know you may get a And we talk about the lead generation. you know those the companies we did bring on for lead generation contracts you know we're talking three or four month deals before they, they dissipate and fall away right because they're not getting what they wanted because you had no expectations so their expectation was super high and they didn't meet it right uh, we find that, I mean, our relationships that come from referrals are our best ones. Um, we get companies who we do well by, and we put in that extra effort to make them successful, going over and beyond what we would even need to do for contracting them a remote person, right? You know, I build out entire phone trees for people because it's something that I have an expertise in. And, you know, helping a company kick off their own managed call center, by providing them a service I don't even charge them for. And then those people referring me to other companies. Right. And those create better relationships than any lead I've ever received. You know, the ones that we've gotten through lead generation, those contracts come and go, you know, quicker than quicker than it took to negotiate the contract.
0: Because there is no relationship.
1: There isn't, it's just, it's transactional.
0: It was a commodity. You're a commodity right. there and they need something. Okay. You're here today and gone tomorrow. Someone beat you yeah. a better price a little bit and there is no relationship. So it doesn't Correct. hurt them to get rid of you. So Correct. I love it. So you're, you're offering your guidance would be under promise over deliver one right? Relationship yeah. one one under promise over deliver. Yeah. And I mean, just, or just simply don't
1: over promise, you know, you know that that's the biggest thing is people love saying we're going to do all this thing for you. Then you have a disappointed client. Uh, you know I'm very transparent. We turn away contracts, right? We could definitely take people's money and then collect on a margin and fail for them later on, or I could just be honest with them up front and say you were not your guys, right? Where you I would go with a different company who maybe focuses in this. And so in those uh, cases, happen, we prefer to take on clients that we believe were the correct match for. Uh, and that we're going to do right for you know I would call us more of a boutique BPO you know you know if you want an organization who's going to beat you be the best on price probably not your people if you want us to be the ones with all the bells and whistles and portals and savviness probably not your people but if you want consistency I, I love the words consistency and fairness uh, it's exactly how we operate we operate in a way that is in your company's best interest while not compromising our company's best interest.
0: No, I I like that. And I think as you're sharing, I'm doing self-reflection about my own service model when I throw my technician hat on as a 401k consultant and and talking to companies. It's funny. Like I offer – we offer personalized one-on-one financial planning for any employee of any one of our clients that wants it for no additional cost. It's built in. We're like, well, how do you offer it? How do you do this? And we offer so many bells and whistles, maybe 1% or 2% of the population takes us up on it. Maybe. Maybe, but if you don't offer it, you're not there, but it's, you offer these services and most people in my world, if I'm throwing my just technician hat on as a 401k consultant, most companies just want a plan that works, yeah. <laughs> right? They don't want all these extra bells and whistles. They like run payroll. Money goes in the 401k. People are happy. People see their account balance. They can see it online. They can see it on their phone. Markets go up. They're making money. Their match comes in on time. But if they leave the company, they want to be able to get access to their money. They don't want all the extra bells and whistles and mm-hmm. because most people are so busy with everything else in their life. The other bells and whistles sound good, and it maybe helps initially separate you. But like you said in the day, you want to be consistent. You want to be fair. If someone calls, you want to get back to them in a timely manner. <laughs> You're right. Someone has mm-hmm. a question, and you don't know the answer. It's okay. I don't know the answer, but give me an hour or two. I'll get back to you as I find something. Will that be okay? Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Is that reasonable? Everybody's cool with that. Everybody's cool.
1: Expectations they 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 breed they I tell us people all the time you say it's going to be an hour to two hours everyone always hears it's going to be an hour right and so you know you have to be very clear and I tell us to all of our account managers because our business is companies and every company is everyone's world like we're dealing with small businesses and large businesses their world is their company. And so what we're doing is we're providing people to do your business. And so when, when they have an issue, it's an issue, right? <laughs> and it's, it's not taking away from that. But I tell people in our account managers all the time, you can't work 24-7, right? They email you at midnight. You do not have an yeah. obligation to respond back. Like I understand you want to be there for them, but then you can't help yourself, right? You can't work. Every 160 hours nonstop and and never give up. And I tell people all that all the time, but you have to be reasonable and, you know, uh, just treat people with what you would believe that you would want to receive if you were in the same shoes.
0: You know, I, I think you hit something there that I'm going to come back and ask you the kind of a challenge you're going through. So just giving you a warning order there. But just like you said, I go through that in my own business sometimes with Giselle, which she's actually – she's editing other podcasts today. She was with me last week on a trip and the week before she was off, so she just – she's asked not be here today. So it's not personal. She wanted to say hello, but she's busy editing other episodes right now so we can keep our cadence going. But there will be times where I just sit there. I'm, I'm the owner, right? I'm always on. I'm always working. I'm always doing. And I'll sit there weird hours – and I'll just get stuff done. I'm just getting through my workload. I'm getting through my stack and I'm sending emails. And I have zero expectations of her, let's say it's after eight, nine, ten o'clock at night or or later. I have zero expectation of her emailing me back that night or not and, and or before she's on the clock the next day. Right? But in her mind, we've had to go through this, we we had to do some coaching. Where she would just, oh, it came in and she feels obligated because she didn't want to let me down to jump. And so I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm doing my stuff, dude. Like, I'm doing my stuff. Don't touch 100%. it. I'm just trying to get my workload done. You engage tomorrow morning, whatever time start day is. Turn your phone off. Turn the, your notifications off. Don't engage. You got your personal life. Your life is your time. When you're with me and you're on the clock and compensation's come in, then you're on, right? But I'm getting my stuff done at my time. You know, I'm a, I'm a single dad, so when I have my son, I'm not working. So once he goes to sleep, I can work late sometimes. But se- having that conversation, though, because I think it's amazing someone stepping up. And working odd hours, which you appreciate the effort because they care. I think it's one thing mm-hmm. you, you can't find – you can't force an employee to care. Either an employee cares or they don't care. So if you are trying to find and build a team, finding a team that cares is huge because you can't teach caring. Either people do or they don't. But having those expectations for that team member who is caring, is trying – is going above and beyond when they shouldn't because they're not the owner – Right. And there's there's HR hours and all that stuff. You're in HR. You understand understand how California works. Like, hey, love it. Love the enthusiasm. Just disengage. And I will be more than happy when you engage tomorrow morning. Just know this is what I am. So that's communication between an entrepreneur who's always on and, and the business is their life and versus the employee technically only has 40 hours a week and has to have their breaks and have their lunch break and have their mm-hmm. afternoon break and has to document, has to clock in and clock out for all those things. So what what is your thoughts? I mean, this dang headset thing keeps swinging away, Like a, something sticking out of my head, like the Borg. It's, it should be back here. So sort of digression <laughs> there. So as we kind of wrap up, what what are your thoughts on that? And then I'm going to ask you about uh, a challenge you're going through right now. Yeah, no,
1: um I agree. You know, I work whenever I work and, and oftentimes that's all the time. And so um, when I'm emailing and responding back to people, uh, I don't expect them to respond back unless it is expected for them to respond back. And and I've already set those proper expectations, right? In terms of the challenges of what I'm going through, it's more so balancing how much I want to do with my company uh, versus how much I actually want to live my life. My biggest thing is I don't take a payment for my company at all, right? Um, My company is actually owned by my partner. Uh, I just lead it because I have the leadership experience. And so for me, uh, I have to fight this drive to take a company that's already fairly profitable and doing really well uh, and let it be okay at where it is versus finding this knack inside me to want to make it huge and to make it bigger and to make it more successful and so I balance that back and forth every day where I'm like, oh, I'm like, let me, let's boost advertising. Let's spend more money here. Let's work harder here. And so I'm in a phase, you know, as you know, I'm a new dad. And so I'm in a phase where I'm trying to fight not to work so much because the companies provide what we need them to provide in my life. And that's great. All right. Some days it's more than others and some days it's less, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I'm more so balancing, you know, the fact that I'm not going to be able to see my little dude at six months old ever again, and so I'm trying to hang out and do that thing right now. So it's more of a personal work-life balance internal struggle with me right now. Uh, you know, I do have a lot of projects going on. You know, we launched our first coffee shop. We got a bunch of stuff going on in Mexico, in the United States, and so I'm busy, which is things I enjoy, but also balancing things I enjoy with. The opportunity to be present with my kid, which I won't get again, you know. So yeah, that's my that's that balance for me. That's my. You know, it's hundred
0: percent. And so, if you ever, and I think I've shared this with you, because my son is now six. So as you're going through that phase, and you're building out your path there, as your little guy. There's different phases. Like right, six months, you're not doing too much. He kind of rolls around, he poops, and makes he makes some noises. And then he sits there. Is his head starting to come up a little bit? Is he? Able uh,
1: to... He's very progressive. He's he's. I mean, he's really close to walking. We're a little scared by how quick he's moving.
0: Okay. Yeah, okay. It's cool.
1: cool. <laughs> it's a lot.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, just know then there's a there's time where it transitions, right? And so yeah. like for myself, I've made the conscious choice. So I tell my clients and any new client. Certain days I leave to pick him up in the middle of the day and it's, it's, it's 120 miles round trip and it takes me three hours. If I tell my clients from this day at this time until this day, the next, until this time, the next day, I'm out of pocket. So if you call me, you're emailing, just know I am not going to get back to you until after this time on this day. And my clients are cool. They get it. You know, as, as a single dad, you know, when I'm on, I'm on, when I'm off, I'm off. I've made that choice to be present during those windows of time. When I have my weekends with him because every weekend on, weekend off type thing, my clients know if it's my weekend at this time on Fridays, I'm out. And then not until I get back from taking him to school on Monday morning, like when I'm back. So I don't start until I get back. So like I started at a later time Monday when I have. So if you make it a priority, awesome. And I think every father should. I think every father should make being a father a priority. And then- I've built my business where it's all intertwined. My life is my business, my business, is my life. Mm-hmm. And then I've shared that with my clients like this at this time in my life, I am going to be present. I am going to be the best father I could be. I've screwed up everything in business, but so far <laughs> I've been a pretty darn good dad. And that means a lot, yeah. man. So anytime you want to chat about that, brother, I'm here for you. So for I sure. think this has been a phenomenal episode, dude. I'd love to have you come back on the like next maybe six more months, kind of give us an update on being a dad as well as yeah. just the business and things you're going through. How, how does that sound? Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Any other thoughts or anything on the tip of your tongue before we end the call that I missed? No,
1: brother. It's been a great conversation. I think we've covered a lot.
0: Love it, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks so much. Semper Fi, Out. And we'll talk soon, brother. Out.